Blog Talk Radio. Healthy and Tone Radio with your host, Darren Fatman McDuck. And now, prepare to get fat. Hey, 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 what's cracking? Welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I'm your host, Darren Fatman McDuffie, and this episode is being brought to you by I'mTheFatMan.com. And I've been promising some changes to the website. They are coming soon. So bear with me, folks, as I start to really change a lot of the things. A lot of you may have uh, been my friend on Facebook and noticed that, you know, some of my videos have been changing. I've taken on just some some different areas of my life, different more uh, kind of blending health and consciousness. And when I do my new website, you're going to see a merging of those two areas. So just bear with me with the website for right now. And again, I promise you that some changes will be coming uh, pretty soon. Got an exciting show for you. This is an early show. I'm used to being on the air at 8 o'clock at night, and uh, just so happens that my guests wanted to do this a little bit earlier, which is good with me. Anytime we can agree to do something and get them on for an interview, um, that's always good. Just a few reminders before we get into the interview, though. I wanted to remind you of a show I did last week. Hope everybody, again, had a really good Memorial Day weekend. I know that I did. Got a chance to go to the beach. The beach was really packed, so um, I had to turn around Sunday and was actually tried to get out there late 12, and everybody was on the beach. I'm here in uh, Fort Lauderdale in the Davie area. So, um, again, everybody was looking to go to the beach on Saturday. So I didn't go on Saturday and I actually ended up getting out there Monday and being able to enjoy uh, some of the uh, festivities out there. So, uh, again, everybody was at the beach. But, uh, again, wanted to remind you of a show I did last Wednesday before the Memorial Day holiday with Diane Kayser. She has a summit that's going on right now called Heart to Happiness. If you have not jumped on to her uh, email list or got not gotten access to that, I would advise you to do so just simply because um, she is taking on a big, big project of what a lot, why a lot of people aren't happy. And happiness has a lot to do with our health, whether we want to believe that or not. You're happy, you're going to be less stressed, and, and less stress equals more healthy, more wellness, more well-being. So if you can go to her HeartToHappiness.com and sign up. You can still catch a lot of the interviews. And I think that's going on to June 8th. So you can enjoy that until uh, June 8th. A couple more days again um, that you can get on that and gain access to that. Uh, Another show I wanted to remind you about was with Dr. Skye Weintraub. We talked about her book, The Parasite Minutes. Talked a lot about parasites. So go back and review those two shows, give them a listen, download them to your iPod, and listen to them at your disposal. Tonight, good guests here, and um, I'm wanting to get this gentleman on. I've heard him on several other podcasts before having him on mine, and we'll be talking to Dr. Stephen Masley. But before we get on, let me make sure that I read his bio. Dr. Masley is a physician, nutritionist, trained chef, a celebrity speaker for programs on public television, plus a fellow for the, with the American Heart Association, the American College of Nutrition, and the American Academy of Family Physicians. 
Over the past 15 years, he has won acclaim for helping thousands of patients lose weight, reverse type 2 diabetes, and eliminate the symptoms of cardiovascular disease. Dr. Stephen Masley, welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. How are you? I'm delighted to be here with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you for um, agreeing to come on. Um, my first question for you, I want to know a bit about your background, but I'm very interested in knowing who actually does the cooking in your house since you are a trained chef. Well, I'm a physician nutritionist, trained chef, as you said. I write books. I've done PBS shows. And my wife's also an awesome cook. So in our house, ah. it's whoever gets home first. You know, we both work, um, so it's when you get there, you get started, get to work. It's always fun, and, you know, it's usually going to be fantastic. Great, great. Um, I wanted to start the interview by just um, talking about your experience um, with the Pritikin Longevity Center. Um, You worked there, is that correct, at one point in time? Yeah, over 10 years ago. Now it's over 15 years ago. I was the medical director for a couple of years at the Pritikin Longevity Center. And uh, it was a great experience, but I can't recommend what we taught then. I mean, back then we were talking about a low-fat, ultra-low-fat diet. None Mm -hmm. of my patients there could follow it. And I actually think we probably did a disservice by, yes, there's bad fats we want to cut out, but there's smart fats we should have added, and we know that now. So it was a wonderful experience working there, but um, my recommendations have changed quite a bit. Yeah. I'm going to get to that. I want to ask you a question about that. But what were some of the things that you were noticing from people who were um, actually partaking in that low low fat diet, and I guess what you should do is maybe talk a little bit about the Pritikin diet for those who listeners who might not be uh, familiar with it. Just tell what it is, and then maybe some of the mm-hmm. things that you were noticing about those people who were uh, undergoing that particular diet. Well, it got started in the '70s by Mr. Uh-huh. Pritikin, who had heart disease, and all the doctors had given up on him. And he, but he did not give up on himself. And he had read somewhere that fat was really the cause, and he cut all the fat—not some, pretty much all the fat—out of his diet. He exercised every day, so he did like aerobic activity. He cut out all the fat, and um, he really did reverse his heart disease. But he got depressed had cancer. I mean, there were several other problems. I mean, I don't think it's the ideal program, but basically we told people to eat a very low-fat diet that had, you know, lots. You could have egg whites, um, salads. There was very, you know, if there was any meat, chicken or fish, it was like limited to a few times a week, like three and a half ounce serving, so pretty small. Mm -hmm. But it was a ton of vegetable and beans, brown rice, kind of a vegetarian diet with this, you know, small amount, as in small, of, you know, animal protein that was pretty lean. And, you know, it was, I mean, many people, for them, it was better than the sad standard American diet. I mean, you know that what average people are eating today is terrible. And this was an improvement on that. But I think if we'd added, but 95% of my patients could never follow it. And none of the people working there were following it. It was just too hard to stay on that kind of ultra-low-fat diet. Yeah. Um, 
One of the things that I've come across in doing, you know, several interviews and being able to ask questions, I had, uh, you're probably familiar with Jimmy Moore, who wrote the Cholesterol Clarity book. Um, one of the things that I've come across, and I'm just wondering if you experienced this when you were at the Pritikin Longevity Center, is that when people tend to cut out their, um, cut out the fat, they're not, they're uh, doing a low-fat diet, the body tends to compensate with carbs. It tends to make you crave carbs. Were you noticing that people were craving carbs and, and gaining weight during that time when you were working with them? No, I would say the average person lost weight because there was no junk food. There was no white rice. There was no chips. There was no white bread. I mean, it was basically vegetable, fruit, beans, and nuts. Well, and actually, vegetable, fruit, and beans, there was hardly any nuts. I mean, we just, you know, you know, very small amount maybe as a garnish. So I, I found people lost weight on it, but they had cravings and they couldn't stick with it. And remember, I only saw them at the center. People came to this center for two, three, or four weeks. We fed them. We took them to the gym and we worked them out. And, yeah, they were, when they left, they had cravings for food and they couldn't stick with it. So I think the problem is when you put all this high-carb diet in someone. I, I think you got it absolutely right, Darren. They had cravings, and that's one of the things that adding smart fat to your diet does is help get rid of the cravings. So I think you're right on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen that phenomenon. And it just so happens um, today I just decided to Google Pritikin Longevity Center, and it came up, and it's still open in Miami. So there's still some people out there who are – It's still there. Yeah, yeah, still some people out there who believe in this whole uh, low-fat thing. Um, was that the turning point for you for change when you started seeing these things that people were not sticking to it? You had people who were actually working there who weren't sticking to the diet. Was that the notion that gave you to, to probably just say, hey, you know what, there's something to this. Maybe we should be eating fat? Well, when I took the job at Pritikin, to be honest, I was hoping to do a randomized clinical trial comparing their fit program to a Mediterranean higher fat program. And I was never able to do it. I mean, that was my biggest reason for leaving. It was this constant argument about why can't we try some olive oil and nuts and avocado and bigger portions of salmon and, you know, why can't we do this? And, you know, it was just bad until finally I had to leave. And as soon as I got out, I started doing studies on a higher fat diet, you know, something that was like really smart, smart fat, smart carbs, smart protein. And it's been very, very successful. And I've had tons of success ever since. How good is that fat for our heart? You are a guy who deals with people in their heart and heart disease. How how important is having what you will call those smart fats uh, for our, for well, our heart? So, Darren, here's the thing. The biggest cause of heart disease is not cholesterol. It's too much sugar in our diet. And if you're just eating this low-fat, high-carb diet, you tend to have cravings. You eat a lot more sugar, and that's going to be—that's the worst thing possible. So, the, so what we want to do? The number two, I think, causes for heart disease are one, abnormal blood sugar control, and number two, inflammation. And if we had smart fats, the right smart fats, they actually improve 
blood sugar control, they improve inflammation. And those are the two most important steps to preventing heart disease. Now, I'm not just saying eat smart fat. I still, I, I think it's critical they get it with fiber. So you eat your five servings of smart fat and you eat lots of vegetable, fruit, beans, and nuts, fiber sources. And that combo is fantastic. It's the combination that really works. Mm-hmm. How important is it for, for protein to add the protein to your diet? A lot of people don't even understand fat, protein, and carbs. But how important for it is to have protein? And um, I'm wondering if you recommend an animal source of protein or you recommend a plant source of protein, or does it really even matter? I think it matters that it's clean. Too much. So I think protein has a couple of really big advantages. One, it makes you, when you eat protein, you're full and satisfied. So it helps you keep off the weight. And two, when you eat protein, it, especially in the morning, it tends to rev your metabolism and help you burn calories. Again, improve weight control. You know, it doesn't have like smart fats that lower inflammation. It doesn't have broccoli that, you know, decreases cancer risk. But it clearly helps with being satisfied and having good weight control. Now, the biggest issue with protein is, is it clean or is it mean? Clean protein would be like grass-fed beef, um, cage-free organic chicken and eggs. It would be wild seafood. It'd be beans. It'd be organic yogurt. Those are all examples of clean protein. And I encourage people to eat more clean. Dirty protein, mean protein, let me give you an example. If you think of a feedlot where they make most animal protein comes from a feedlot where they feed it corn and soy products that have pesticides and Roundup on them, and then they inject them with hormones, and all those hormones and pesticides and Roundup are in the animal fat. So whether you eat animal fat or vegetable fat, to me, if it's clean, I don't care. If it's going to be from a feedlot, like regular store-bought food, I prefer something that's clean and vegetarian or something like that. I, I, did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, you sure did because I wanted the audience to kind of get what was uh, the importance of protein there along with the fats. Now, you're mentioning smart fats, but in the book it says smart fats. Then you also have good fats, and I think you mentioned maybe one or two of those. I think olive oil was one. Um, you mentioned mm-hmm. Uh, maybe avocado. What are some of the other uh, good fats that we need to be taking in on a daily basis? So nuts, we should have one or two handfuls. That's like one or two ounces every day. My favorites are almonds, pecans, walnuts, pistachios, hazelnuts, macadamia nuts. I mean, those have proven benefit for your health, and most people like them. You know, whether they're roasted or raw or salted or not, I don't think matters that much. But I want you to eat one or two handfuls of nuts every day. And you could use nut oils to cook with, too, like almond oil or macadamia nut oil. They're really good, and they tolerate heat pretty well. Um, so they're good for cooking. And then, um, like, um, extra virgin olive oil is a fantastic oil. You know, you could easily have a tablespoon of virgin olive oil every day. I think mm-hmm. eggs, if they're cage-free organic, are really good fat. Those egg, we should eat the egg yolks if they're from cage-free organic-fed eggs. And then um, you said avocado. I agree with you. That's mm-hmm. a smart fat. Um, coconut products can be really smart. And then, um, you know, uh, wild salmon. 
you know, cold water fish, like so wild salmon, sardines, sole, mussels, oysters, all of those, have, those are all really healthy fats. And I want people to have five servings of smart fat every day. Mm-hmm. Now, you also mentioned the term in the book, neutral fat. I'm wondering, mm-hmm. was that a, a strategic word choice of saying neutral fats? Explain what that, what I, what that actually means. Well, you're absolutely, it was very strategic, so thank you for pointing that out. Um, you know, I, yes, the fats I just mentioned, and I didn't say dark chocolate. Dark chocolate is also a really smart fat. So they have proven benefits. In other words, there are studies that say if you eat more of this instead of something else, it prevents heart attack, stroke, cancer. They're beneficial to us. Neutral fats aren't bad, and they're not good. So I would put like animal, you know, like like beef protein, you know, animal fat from a cow, from dairy, so meat and poultry, as long as they're clean, if they're organic, grass-fed, they, they don't help our health, but they're not bad for it. You know, for years we've told people they can't eat saturated fat like steak and um, dairy. But the truth is, if there's clean, there's zero evidence to support that. There are all, most of the clinical trials that have been done where they randomized people to diet A or diet B, and one of them had more um, animal protein and dairy, it was neutral. It had no adverse effect on their heart. So we do have good fats. We've mentioned those. We have neutral fats like steak and meat and dairy. As long as they're clean, they're not from a feedlot. They're like organic. And then clearly we have bad fats. You know, bad fats are like those toxic fats that come from a feedlot or hydrogenated fats, Mm -hmm. you know, these chemical compounds that are clearly harmful to us. Yeah. I wanted to go back to eggs because I remember maybe 10, 15 years ago, I was just terrified of eggs. I mean, I would go and I would do the egg replacements instead of getting the real eggs. Right. You and and me both. Yeah. (laughs) And I, Absolutely. I was skimming through uh, Facebook, and I saw an article on eggs, how many is too many. And I wanted to ask you that. How many is too many, and should we just have – should we still have a fear or concern over, over eating eggs? Well, they, I mean, I think it comes down to that clean question again. If they're really cage-free, organic-fed eggs that walk around eating bugs and stuff like that, laying eggs – those eggs are good for you. They have choline. They have long-chain omega-3 fats. You know, these are those eggs are healthy, and it's a great source of protein. But most eggs come from these farms where they feed them antibiotics. They feed them pesticide-enriched food. They hit them with hormones. They spray them with chemicals. I mean, those things are toxic. So if you're talking cheapo, regular eggs from the grocery store, I would eat the egg whites. But if I can find you know, some local, organic-fed, cage-free eggs, then please eat the whole egg. And I don't have a limit. You could have two or three of them every day. That would be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to get that out of the way because a lot of people still have this stigma that they're toting around about yeah, eggs. Yeah, you're right. You know, you're absolutely right there. And all these people are out there saying, I can't eat eggs. I'll have to order egg whites. Well, no. Now, if I'm out at a regular chain store, I'm probably honestly I'm going to eat the I'm going to order the egg white omelet. But right. if I'm making an omelet at home with eggs I bought that were good quality, I get to eat the whole egg. That's the yeah. difference. 
Yeah, you're in Florida, right? You're you're here. Where I'm I, in I'm Florida. Actually, okay, yeah, I'm in Fort Lauderdale. So we have a lot of these places that pop up where we can get a lot of good organic stuff. So mm-hmm. I know that even major have, grocery stores, you know, like Publix, yeah. they have organic cage-free eggs. Yeah, you know, anywhere uh, now. I was really surprised that uh, I know Pub well Publix doesn't, but I know Target has started selling the pasture raised eggs. So I was really surprised mm-hmm. about that, and I know Whole Foods does as well. So if you're out it's there listening, coming. you're yeah. you're wondering where how to where to find anything. Look at go to Target. You can go online and get uh, access to to a lot of these things. Um, but you're right, things- Darren. You know, it used to be just a few health food stores, and now it's right. almost whether it's Safeway or Kruger or Publix. You know, where you are in the country, you can get these now. And in Europe, it's easy. They've had them all along. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that has struck in my family, and I, I would imagine many other families, is Alzheimer's disease. I have a lot of you know my older aunts and my uncles that suffer from Alzheimer's and dementia. And um, in your book, you talk about about the correlations between, I guess, the, the metabolic syndrome of, of diabetes, heart disease, right. and obesity. And how does that all come about? Why is that such a catalyst for, for Alzheimer's if you have one of those conditions or maybe all of them? Well, it's that's a perfect question for me today because I'm just turned in a new proposal to work on a new book on this topic. So you don't know it, but I'm really (laughs) glad you asked. So then I think the number one cause for memory loss, like dementia, Alzheimer's is blood sugar. And here's Henry. Let me see if I can explain it briefly and simply. When your sugar's running too high, we develop something called insulin resistance. Insulin is a hormone that takes sugar in your bloodstream and pushes into the cell and helps the cell burn that sugar to make energy. Now, if your sugar is running high all the time, you're eating too much of it, the insulin won't work. It stops communicating with your cells. It's like, how you know, when the hotel is full of guests, they turn people away, you can't get more in. Well, when you're blood sugar levels are high, your cells are full of sugar, and you can't pack any more in. The cells won't listen to the insulin message. When that happens, then at the same time, your brain cells are unable to burn energy. So when insulin stops working, the cell can't convert glucose into energy. The cell gets sick and it dies. So initially, you have decreased brain function, and people have what they feel like is brain fog. But over time, the cells die, the brain shrinks, and you end up with Alzheimer's. So I would say the number one cause of Alzheimer's and memory loss today isn't because you have advanced diabetes. It's when you have the early signs of mild blood sugar elevation and you're hormonally not communicating, and then that causes so many problems to your brain cells that they die off. Mm-hmm. I hope I – how did I do it? Does that make sense, what I'm trying to yeah, explain? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because it seems as though we are living in a society where we are what I will call uh, – carbohydrate people we we like excessive carbohydrates so it makes a lot of sense that our blood sugar is is always high um 
Yeah, I and this the, isn't coming from. Well, let me let me just finish there. It's not mm-hmm. from because they're eating too much broccoli and apples and black beans. This is because they're getting these sugar spikes from flour and sugar, and we're eating way too much flour and sugar, and that's pushing us over the edge. Yeah. I'm not anti-carb, so it's not like I think you could eat too many greens or too many blueberries or too many beans. That's not it. It's all the sugar and flour we eat in this huge abundance that's finishing us off. Yeah. So are you a proponent for um, a low-carb diet, maybe getting no. off of those? Oh, okay. No, I'm actually not. But I want people to eat smart carbs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I would say no sugar, especially no sugary drinks, no flour, no bread, no crackers. You know, those things, we convert that kind of carbohydrate into sugar in our bloodstream immediately. But if you're eating blueberries, black beans, or broccoli, those are all carb, right? But mm-hmm. they don't raise your blood sugar levels. Hmm. So we've got to eat the right smart car- just like we need smart fat, we need smart carbs, and we need to cut out the bad, um, dumb carbs is what we really need to do. Yeah. So I try to distinguish which carbs raise our sugar, like from sugar, flour, and potatoes, and which, which carbs don't, like from beans and berries and vegetables. Yeah. Does implementing smart fats, um, saturated fats, smart fats, does that help with our cholesterol? Does that give us more of the uh, good overall cholesterol count, or, yes. or how does that work? Okay. I like how you said that, good overall cholesterol. So your total number might go up, but the bad cholesterol could drop and the good cholesterol could go higher. So when you add smart fat and smart carbs, your cholesterol profile actually gets a lot better. You have more garbage trucks to clean your arteries, and you have a lot less trashy garbage. So you get the right type of cholesterol, not the wrong type. I love how you said that. Yeah. The second part of that question would be, I want to take that a step further and ask you about statins, because there seems to be a lot of stuff in the news now about Mm -hmm. statins, the overall effectiveness of them. And I was wondering what your stance is on that. Is there ever a time when we actually need to use statins where our cholesterol is just too high? Well, yeah. I mean, I have people who've had, uh, you know, statins work better. Let's clarify a few points. Statin Mm -hmm. works better for men than they do for women. Men and women get heart disease for different reasons, and they are more effective in men. They're much more, you know, if a guy's already had a heart attack, they're going to be much more effective for him than someone who's trying to prevent a heart attack. So if you're really high risk, you've already had heart disease, your cholesterol is super high, I don't have any problem writing for them. My goal is I want to help my patients not need them, not qualify. The problem is way too many people qualify for statins today. They're diabetic, they have ultra-high cholesterol, they're really grossly overweight, their blood pressure is super high. I think if you add more smart fat, more clean protein, more smart carbs and fiber, then your cholesterol, your blood sugar, your blood pressure, and your weight all get better, and then you don't need the statin drugs. That's the key to not need them. They're not Mm -hmm. evil. 
They have mm-hmm. definitely they have many side effects. They can cause brain fog. They raise your blood sugar levels. They can make your muscles hurt. They can cause liver, liver inflammation. And something they don't like to mention is they lower t- men's testosterone levels too. Yeah, fifty I've to seventy that. points. That's a lot. So they have a ton of side effects, but in the right person, they could save your life. Yeah. So my goal is let's make it so you don't need them, that you don't benefit from them because you're, you know, trim fit and sexy looking and you eat really well, you know, and then you won't need them. I mean, that's got to be the goal. Yeah. With, with the fats and putting more of them into your diet, there's a lot of people out here also who may have problems with blood pressure. And I'm wondering yes. if implementing fats into your diet are going to help regulate your blood pressure, especially for those who may be on the upper end. Absolutely. Well, the most important thing probably for blood pressure is getting rid of sugar. You know, I wrote a blog right. a while back, which, which crystal, you know, what white crystal substance is killing us? And it was, my question was, it's salt or it's sugar? And sugar is a lot worse than salt. And it raises your blood pressure two to three times as much as salt is. So I don't think a lot of people are trying to avoid the salt in their diet, and that's not a bad thing. That might even be a good thing. But it's much more important to cut out the sugar and flour because that's the main thing that causes your blood pressure to go up. The other thing that really lowers blood pressure is eating more fruit and vegetables. You know, berries, apples, um, broccoli, asparagus, peppers, collard greens, you know, whatever you like, you eat more vegetables and fruit and your blood pressure comes down. You eat less sugar and your blood pressure comes down. I mean, tons of people are on medications. And my goal is if you followed my program, hopefully you wouldn't need, you could get off those meds and you wouldn't need them. Yeah. Um, Getting to the sugar aspect of talking about that white substance and you just mentioned that um how is it important for us to to how how important is it is it for us to type of maybe reduce our sugar intake well the absolute worst yeah i'm sure you know this form of sugar Mm -hmm. is what you drink you know it's it's amazing that people that, that we're still serving sodas to kids i mean that's like child abuse I mean, when you give someone liquid sugar, that's like, it's addicting. It's like you're putting them on dr- real drugs. I mean, so it is so, you know, so step number one, if you only did one thing, stop drinking sugared drink, you know, sweetened, even diet drinks, but sugar or diet. So these sweetened drinks like sodas, um, sweet tea, and s- just drink water or herbal teas or unsweetened tea or a protein, you know, smoothie like with blueberries and a protein shake. You know, if we could get people to do that, just that, um, tons of people would lose 10, 20, 30 pounds. They'd feel better. They'd get off their medications. That would be profound. So the first step is to stop drinking sugar. And the second one would be to cut it out of all these other processed foods. It's yeah. almost everywhere. It's in tomato sauce. It's in marinara sauce. It's in ketchup. It's in salad dressings. It's like they put it like everywhere. So anytime you buy something processed, I can almost assure you it's loaded with sugar. 
Yeah. While we're talking about sugar, this is something that had me uh, spellbound for a long time until I started to dig deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And you kind of tackled it in the book. And that's agave. A lot of people still think that agave is still uh, healthy. It's still one of those things that they should be consuming. Um, talk a little bit about that and what your recommendation recommendation. Well, Gary, I'm really glad you brought that point up because it's pretty darn harmful. You know, here it's being marketed as it's sweet with no glucose, so it doesn't raise your blood sugar level. Well, that is true. It is sweet and it doesn't lower. It does not raise your blood sugar level. The problem is it's fructose, and when you absorb that, it all goes to your liver. And it turns, gives you fatty liver and cirrhosis. So the more agave you eat, the more it's basically like turning your liver into pate. <laughs> because that's you're getting fatty liver. You're actually yes. all that energy. The your body doesn't know what to do with it. It's a, a unique form that doesn't doesn't really exist in the rest of the natural kingdom. You know, agave is pretty unique, agave cactus um, sugar. It's all fructose, so the only thing you can do is make, so your triglycerides go super high, your liver gets inflamed, you make fatty liver, and in the end you end up dying of cirrhosis or, you know, pot, you know pate liver syndrome if you eat too much. So um, I really, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, <laughs> the sugar substitutes, most of them are, some of them are worse than sugar itself, and agave would be one of them. Yeah, I used to, I was going back and forth on that, and then I finally came across something that kind of convinced me that agave wasn't the best thing for me. And part of that was what you just explained about the fructose. So I knew that I needed to eliminate that out of my diet. Uh, in the book, you talk about... Well, and I love, I got to tell you, I love what's on your website. You know, this bit about aspartame poisoning. Some, mm -hmm. some of these sweeteners <laughs> are worse than sugar. So I love this thing you got going on your website right now. It's awesome, Darren. Yeah, oh, thank you. I um I actually use stevia myself. That's the only thing that I I use when yeah, I yeah stevia or maybe a little xylitol or erythritol. Yeah. You just you can't use very much or that'll give you diarrhea. But a little bit of it, that or stevia. I think those are the two sweeteners that are probably fairly safe. They don't have much toxicity to them. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about this uh, Sydney Heart Study in the book. Um, very interesting yes. study about vegetable oils and how they made the switch and what actually happened. Talk a little bit about that. So they were under the assumption if people were to cut out saturated fat like butter and meats and use more vegetable oils, that it would lower the risk of heart disease, right? I mean, haven't we all heard that story for years? Mm -hmm. And they did the study, and they found the exact opposite. If In Australia, they have clean butter and clean meat. It's mostly growl grass-fed, organically fed. You know, they're not feeding them grains and stuff like that, and they do here. And when they fed these people more saturated fat and less vegetable oils, they had a much lower risk of heart disease, and that's the opposite of what they thought they were going to find. But since that time, several other studies have shown the same thing, that cutting out so, so that saturated fat is pretty neutral if it's clean, but vegetable oils are pretty bad for you because a lot of them are hydrogenated or they're corn oil or soybean oil. They're rich in omega-3s, which are inflammatory, and oftentimes they're hydrogenated or 
you're partially hydrogenated. I think of, you know, vegetable oil as like embalming fluid, honestly. <laughs> but if it's partially hydrogenated, they've like converted it into liquid plastic. And the last thing we want to do is, you know, drink or eat liquid plastic. There's still a segment of our population out there that are that still believing things like corn oil and soybean oil. <clears throat> And I'm wondering if you've seen those people, you work with these types of people, and is that a, a main catalyst for heart disease or um, atherosclerosis? These people who are still consuming or using these these types of types of oils. Yeah, I think it's making their arteries inflamed and their brains inflamed. And I think it's, I mean, more important, I think, is to give up hydrogenated fats. But the corn oil and soybean oil, I don't see anything positive about them. There's nothing smart about them. And I think people would be a lot better off if they just gave them up and they shifted and used avocado oil or olive oil or almond oil or macadamia nut oil. Any of those would be a lot better choices. Yeah. Um, our hormones pretty much control everything in our bodies. How does fat, uh, actually introducing smart fat and using fats, actually help us with optimizing our hormones? Well, like we said before, when you go on a small, a, a low-fat diet, you decrease estrogen and you decrease um, testosterone. You mess up your hormones. Your body actually needs fat to make cholesterol, to make hormones. And if you don't feed it fat, you'll have a drop. So women have more, you know, menopause or PMS symptoms. Guys have andropause. They're tired. They're worn out. They lose sexual function, romantic function. So um, not good. So, yeah, I mean, a low-fat diet does not it doesn't give the fuel we need for normal hormone structure. And then, you know, the anti-inflammatory, you know, there's hormones that lower, that help us lower inflammation, that help us control appetite. We get those from eating smart fat. So when you add the dark chocolate, the salmon, the, you know, other fish, the um, nuts and olive oil, Avocado, all of those things improve our hormones. It improves our blood sugar control. It lowers our inflammation. It gives us hormonal balance. And that means being feeling great and being healthy. So I'm so glad you're getting this message out. And, you know, love your website. Uh, you know, I think you're just doing such a great job, Darren. And, wow, I'm impressed. You really studied this smart fat book. You got a lot out of it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I always prepare uh, for the interviews. I think there's nothing worse than having someone on an interview and not being um, prepared. And, and speaking of that, being prepared, I just wanted to ask you a personal question because obviously you are what I would call off the square. You're not following the, the conventional mainstream of, hey, let me write a prescription for this or a statin for that, although you said that you do have, you use those in your practice. Um, but I'm wondering if you have received any pushback from your colleagues because of the stances you've taken on fat, because it's not one of those things that are, it's becoming more accepted, but it's not universally mm -hmm. accepted yet. And I'm wondering if you've had any pushback. Well, I see, I speak at physician medical meetings all the time. I'm at almost 20 medical meetings a year. I have spoken to more than 30,000 physicians in the last 10, 12 years. 
And I bring studies like that Sydney study you talked about or the Mediterranean diet study. So um, the perimid, I come prepare, I bring data, I share my data, and from that I make recommendations to physicians and what they should recommend to their patients. And when I do it that way, it's very well accepted. So, you know, I talk at family physicians meetings, internal medicine, age management, cardiology, you know, you name it, I've talked to those doctor groups. And here's the only thing they'll tell me, though. Here, the, the negative feedback I get is I get this. They say, I can't get my patients to do it. So I just write the meds because they don't follow my recommendations. And my response is, if you took the time to give them the right information, they would know, they'd have the tools to succeed. What we have too often, though, and you know this, is that people go to a doctor. The doctor's seen 30, 40, up to 50 people per day. They have 10 minutes to, you know, ask a couple questions, refill their meds, pat them on the back, and they probably say, and you should lose weight, exercise more, and eat better, but they don't give them the tools to succeed. So if I get any, you know, harassment from physicians, it's because they're saying – they don't have the time to do this. And I'd say, well, then give him my book. Give him the Smart Fat <laughs> book. Give him the 30 Day Heart Tune Up book. Do something. Give them the tools so they don't need your meds. Yeah. Speaking That's of that. That's a little scary for the, average medic, for the average doctor. That's kind of a scary thought is to give people tools and they won't need our medications. Yeah, yeah, that is because most people, it's, it's a cycle and it goes around. But uh, I'm a big Star Wars fan, and uh, one of the things that Yoda says is you must unlearn what you've learned. And yes. I, I'm wondering how do you get your patients, because obviously when patients come to see you, you are not the typical physician who's going to tell them, oh, stay away from this, stay away from that. Have you ever come across a scenario where you have to tell them to unlearn what they've learned? You say, hey, you can eat butter. You can eat these you know, these the saturated fats. How do you get them to get out of that mentality that they were on, they've been believing for 20, 30 some odd years and start yeah. telling them, hey, this butter is good for you. These, this olive oil is great well, as for long you. as it's organic, right? You got to say yeah. organic butter and then I'll agree. So okay. organic butter. Yeah, it's fine. You know, olive oil. Absolutely. So, but see, when I see a pa- I won't see a patient and then let's spend an hour doing a nutrition about with me. And we analyze what foods are they eating? Are they getting too much sugar and fiber? Well, yes, most of the time. Do they get enough smart fat, clean protein? Do they get enough fiber? Do they meet their nutrient needs? I look at like 20 different nutrients and are you getting them? And then I point out if you're grossly nutritionally deficient, like 80% of people, then they're not meeting their needs and it's going to have huge health issues. So I usually, you know, like, all right, we've got two choices here. You can go on and have Alzheimer's, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, something bad, or you can get trim, fit, look sexy, feel better, prevent memory loss, prevent heart disease. Now, what, which do you want? Which path do you want? I'll help you get there. But you first have to tell me what you want, and then I'll I, – I tell them I've got a magic wand, and I do. And I hold up my magic wand, and I say, this thing really works. If you come up with a goal and I help you get a plan to meet, meet that goal, 
it will work. I can promise you it. you're going to succeed. And usually they look pretty startled when I say that. But the fact is I've helped, you know, I've hundreds of people who their brains are sharper, their executive functions better, they've shrunk their artery plaque, they're trimmer, they're fitter, they look better, they feel better. So I know I can help them do it if they're motivated. They have to make the change. That's going to be their call. And I'm trying to give them the tools to do it. Yeah, some people just like to hold on to those beliefs. Um, I had two more questions for you, and then okay. I'm going to let you go, maybe three. But um, glycemic index and glycemic load, this was something that always confused me, and you gave a really good synopsis in the book. Explain mm-hmm. that to the audience, because I think I used to always sit down when I was a kid, and I would watch these um, – what's the Nutritrim or the drink that they used to have, and they would Mm -hmm. always have on their glycemic. They would either say glycemic index and glycemic load, and I would always get confused. But explain that to the audience. So glycemic index is a term for researchers working in a food lab. When we give a certain quantity of carbohydrate, whether it's bread or pasta or beans or broccoli, when we give that to a person, how high does the average person's blood sugar go up? So that's the glycemic index. The problem is, here's why it doesn't work very well in real life. Glycemic index, if you eat 50 grams of carbohydrate, and you're smart, you know, that's a lot. That's like nine large carrots. Could you eat nine large carrots in 10 minutes? I can't. (laughs) Maybe with a gun to my head I would, but short of that, I'm not doing it, right? Right. So you can't eat 50 grams. So it's like, well, that's ridiculous. I can eat 50 grams of pasta. It's not that hard. It's like a couple cups. I could easily do that. So a much better term is glycemic load. Glycemic load is how high does your blood sugar go from one serving of food? So if you look at carrots and beets, they have a glycemic index of in the 40s, and anything over 20 is high. So they're like double high, right? But mm-hmm. when you look at the glycemic load per serving, it's only four. So it's actually a really low food for sugar in an average one cup serving. Wow. So rice is high, potatoes are high, chips are high, bread is high. You know, potatoes are high, but all the fruit and vegetables are pretty, except for a potato and a banana, they're pretty low. So yes, the glycemic load, the blood sugar load from eating low glycemic carbs is really low and that's the key and that was the point i was trying to make in the book yeah um obviously we want to put more fat in our diet there's a lot of people out there and there's been a lot of controversy over supplements what should we be taking what are some of the other recommendations that you might have when it comes to uh supplements that people are absolutely deficient in that you might uh recommend to your patients okay so we have a a you know, a detailed chapter on supplements in both the 30-Day Heart Tune-Up and the Smart Fat books. But in brief, I want everyone to have a good quality multivitamin. And it needs to have adequate B12 and like at least 100 micrograms of B12. And it should have at least 2,000 international units of vitamin D. 
So vitamin D, B12, a multivitamin. Do you get enough magnesium? Most people don't. So probably some, you know, magnesium causes migraines, muscle cramps, constipation, um, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, cardiac death. I mean, it's really important. And 70% of people don't get their magnesium. So magnesium is a good so a multi with B12 and vitamin D, um, magnesium, fish oil. Those are, you know, those are really to me like the top five. I mean, there's a ton of other things you could take, but if you were to make sure you got your vitamin D, your B12, your multivitamin, your magnesium, and your fish oil, wow, that would be huge. Yeah. I got my vitamin D in this weekend. I, uh, I'm probably the only African-American guy that sunbathes, but <laughs> but I like to get my natural vitamin D in at the, at the beach when I go there. And, yeah, uh, but remember, you need like one to two hours every day. So you mean, for you to get enough vitamin D, you're supposed to get at least an hour in a bathing suit every day. So I need to be supplementing as well. And, Probably. you know, African-American, you have better skin, you know, than someone does from Northern Europe. In other words, you have le- you get less sun damage to your skin. That, to me, mm-hmm. it's better. But you don't make vitamin D as well. So you might need, you know, an extra 20 minutes, whereas if someone's from Sweden, they could get by with 20 minutes less. So most people who've got really fair skin need about 40 to 45 minutes every day. And if you're a person of color, you need at least an hour every day. And guess what? Most people don't get that. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of people out there who aren't African-American, who are Caucasian. That aren't, Really, we, we don't get enough vitamin D as a society as a whole because we live most of our lives inside. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or we wear sunscreen because we're afraid to get sunburn. And then you yeah. don't make any vitamin D. So unless you're out there basically naked, you know, with no sunscreen on for hours every day, then you should still take a vitamin D supplement. But I think there is something, you know, healthy about being out in the sun. You know, it's um, it's calming in so many great ways. Yeah. Just how, I like you know, it. I can, only, I can only take it so much. I like it. I usually sit out there for 20 minutes, then I'm up under the uh, some shade. But um, I saw your picture on, at the beach. You had got a hat on, though. I see that. Yeah, I usually cover my head, and uh, I lay out, and I'll cover my face, but I let my body uh-huh. stay out. Yeah, you don't want to get sun damage on your face. Yeah. That's smart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I'm sitting down to my meal. I'm going to eat as soon as I get off here in a little bit, but I'm sitting down to my for my meal. Um, what would my meal look like if I'm following the Smart Fat program? Okay, for breakfast, it could be like uh, eggs, you know, cage-free organic-fed eggs with veggies or something like that. You could have a protein shake, which I have. I love it every day. You could have like some organic yogurt with berries and nuts um, or steel-cut oatmeal, you know, with a shot of protein powder. I think any of those with berries and nuts, any of those would be a good choice for breakfast. Or you could just do a protein bar, you know, one of these clean, doesn't have sugar, it's got smart fat. And it's got a lot of protein and fiber. And then for lunch, like a salad with, you know, grilled protein. It could be a soup. I oftentimes do a soup of the week with like chicken, turkey, or beans and a lot of vegetables in it. You could do a protein and double the vegetable and skip the starch. For, for an afternoon snack, I like nuts. Um, I like dark chocolate. 
And for dinner, you know, I tend to think of clean protein, a nice serving of clean protein, and then double the vegetable portion on the side. And if you want to have a little starch, probably the best time is night, but it's got to be a small portion like a sweet potato, quinoa, you know, something like that um, in a small like half cup to cup portion. But eat more clean protein, double those vegetables, you know, go ahead and use some olive oil with it, sprinkle on some, you know, nuts that are, you know, slivered nuts or something for a little crunchy texture. And please use lots of herbs and flavor, herbs and spices for flavor, like Italian herbs, curry spices, chili spices, ginger, all those are very anti-inflammatory, really healthy, and they make your food taste fantastic. Yeah. Are you a proponent for kind of tapering off? I know some diets where they you eat more for breakfast, lunch, and then dinner you kind of taper off or does it matter at all? I I don't I suggest not don't eat 2 hours before you go to bed. Mhm. You know, um I like mostly protein for breakfast to rev your metabolism, less carb, more protein for breakfast. You tend to handle carbs better in the afternoon and evening. Um don't eat before you go to bed. That's how sumo wrestlers learn to gain weight, is they stuff themselves before they go to sleep. That's gen- For most of my patients, that's a bad plan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Doc- Dr. Masley, thank you so much for the interview. And your book is uh, located on Amazon. It's called Smart Fat, and you actually have a 30-day meal plan in here, which is good. I know some people like to have that meal plan in there, and you provide that as well. And um, I'm not sure, what is your, your website? Uh, I know that you so have a website. So if people want more information, I've got some free gifts for any of your listeners if they want to tune in. And I've got a weekly blog I send out on updates. So that would be drmasley.com, D-R-M-A-S-L-E-Y.com. And the website's there. There's free gifts you can sign up for. So um, sh- um, get some information, and hopefully I can help keep, you know people get trim, fit, and sexy in a lot less time. Yeah. Dr. Madley, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Darren. All right. Have a good evening. All right. That was Smart Fat with Dr. Stephen Masley. Hope you learned a lot from that interview. A lot of good tidbits in there. I would recommend going back and putting on your iPad and listening, not iPad, your iPod, and listening for a couple of times and uh, soaking all that information in. Next week, we'll be back on Monday. We didn't have a Monday show just simply because it was Memorial Day. And But next Monday, we'll be back, and it'll be a show that was rescheduled. I was supposed to have uh, Dr. Uh, Maya Shetreet-Klein on to discuss her book called The Dirt Cure and finally was able to get her back on. She was doing some traveling and had to reschedule. But we'll be talking about growing healthy kids, with food straight from soil, and her book is, again, called The Dirt Cure. So if you're out there that have children or you know someone that has children, um, you may want to tune us to, to this show. And if you're an adult, you can always learn just as much if you think it's a show for kids. So, again, tune in Monday with The Dirt Cure uh, with Dr. Maya Sheetree Klein. And then on um, Wednesday of next week, um, I'm going to have uh, Tasha Tasha Lee, she'll be coming on and she'll be talking about how she uh, kind of got her diabetes in check through a fruitarian diet. So that'll be a really interesting show. She's actually here in Florida where I am, and we actually got a chance to meet and talk 
about some of the things that we were doing. We sat down at Whole Foods of all places and we were talking about different things about health. And so it'll be a really interesting show about that. And she's an up and coming podcaster herself, but she started hacking herself, so to speak, if you, you like that word, um, doing some things with her diabetes and was able to really reduce the effects of her diabetes. I believe she's type one, a type one diabetic, which is autoimmune, um, using fruit. So that'll be a really interesting show. So hopefully you'll join me Monday and also don't join me Wednesday, same fat time, same fat channel. But no, not same fat time, same fat channel. It'll be 8 o'clock. We did this one on 6 o'clock. So next week it'll be 8 o'clock. And then the Wednesday show will be 8 o'clock as well. And then we'll keep rolling on. We'll have a lot of good shows that are coming up, a lot of good guests that are coming up. So stick with me. Hopefully you're enjoying the shows. You want to give me some feedback. You can email me at perfectlyhealthyandtoneradio at gmail. Dot com. You've had a, a question, I can answer that. Again, it's called Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio at gmail.com and be glad to take your questions there or if you have guests that you want to see. I can't guarantee a lot of times that um, I can get them on. Some people just aren't open to coming on and speaking on the radio, but the majority of them are. But if you have a guest that you absolutely want to hear, let me know and I'll reach out to them and try to see if I can get them on the show. So again, thank you for listening. Peace and love. Good night, y'all.